Well, friends, today we're starting a brand new series here at Charter Oak Church. This series is called Faithfulness. And what we're doing is we're taking a look at three different characters in the Bible, three different people, and we're exploring how their actions reveal God's faithfulness, how what they did revealed a trust in God's faithfulness. Now, the people we're going to take a look at most people would just automatically dismiss. If I were to tell you, uh, oh, this is, who, this is the, 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 the description of this particular character, most of us would say, yeah, okay, that's, they're not really going to be able to do much. But as you're going to see, God chooses these people to display and, and live out his faithfulness to us and to others in, in, in this world. The people we're going to be studying, excuse me, the next three weeks, they're going to stretch our faith. It's going to challenge some of our preconceived ideas. And it's going to invite us, it's going to invite us to also explore how we can be faithful to God as well. Our first story comes from the Gospel of John, John chapter 6. And so if you want to follow along in your Bibles, go ahead and uh, find that uh, John chapter 6. These these verses are not going to be on the screen, so if you'd like to follow along, pull up John chapter 6, either on your, on, on your phone or on the Bibles located there in your pew holders, as we hear John chapter 6, 1 through 13. John writes, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. Well, then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and he saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to his disciple, Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test Philip, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Well, Philip answered him, It would take more than a half of year's wages to buy enough bread for even one, of, even one to have a bite. Well, then another of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Andrew said, Well, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and so they all sat down. It was about 5,000 men who were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. When they all had had enough to eat, Jesus said to his disciples, go and gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so the disciples, they gathered them, and they ended up filling 12 baskets full with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Have any of you ever felt inadequate? You don't have to raise your hand. You don't want to. I know I sure have, but there's times in my own life that I felt inadequate. When I was in college, I had a group of friends that, that needed somebody to help. Um, they needed an extra person to play on their intramural basketball team for one of their games. And so they came over to me, and they're like, Ben, can you please come and join us for this game? Of, and I said, well, I, I told them, I know how to shoot a basketball, but I've never played in an actual game before. And they said, oh, you can't be that bad, Ben. Come on, come on. So I said, okay, so I joined them. Well, you can't say I didn't try to warn them, right? Because once I was out on the court, I had no idea where to stand. I didn't know where to run. I didn't know who to pass to. I didn't know how to get open. I didn't know how to defend. 
And within minutes, while I was out there on the court, my friends immediately realized their mistake in inviting me to come and join them. I could immediately tell just by looking at their faces, and maybe you've, you've seen this kind of thing before too, I could tell that I was letting them down, but nobody wanted to admit that I was letting them down. The longer the game went, the more I felt like the contribution that I was giving to this basketball game was a complete abysmal failure. My skills were inadequate. Now, how about you? Maybe you've uh, felt some place like that in your own life. Times in what you had to offer, you felt inadequate. Maybe you once tried to contribute an idea or a gift or a donation or volunteered your time, whatever it was. But once you did it, you suddenly felt like what you had to give was either pointless or meaningless or it just wasn't making a difference or it was even, was even causing the other, the other problem, making it even worse. Maybe you, maybe you found yourself feeling like, oh, sure, I, I can give $5, but who cares? It's not that much. It's not going to matter. Or sure, you know, I can show up and I can try to help out, but I'm not as skilled as everybody else here, so who really cares whether I show up or not? Or sure, I, I have an idea that I can offer, but I'm, just, I'm not as smart as everybody else in the room here, so why even bother bringing it up? You know, the story that we just read, it's traditionally referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, this miraculous story where Jesus uses just a few loaves to feed over 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not including women and children. In this story, it shows up in all four Gospels. Did you know that's one of the few stories, a uh, few miracles of Jesus that's in all four Gospels? But the story is not just about the power of Jesus to do a miracle. It is that, but it's not just that. It's also a story about people, regular people like you and me, who are completely and utterly inadequate to solve a problem on their own. People who simply do not have the resources to solve a problem on their own. They're inadequate. But then, something amazing happens. Because when their inadequate gifts are put into the hands of Jesus, something amazing happens. The great uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon once said this about this story. He said, this story, it's in all four Gospels so that we won't forget how much the Lord can do with just the little things that are yielded to him. Now we're going to walk through this account together. If you're looking at this text, feel free to keep it open either on your phone or in your Bible as we kind of work through this uh, text, kind of uh, verse by verse, if you will, as we kind of move forward to see just what it is that we can learn about God's faithfulness from this. So first, let's take a look at those first two verses, again, from the beginning of chapter 6. Uh, it says, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he performed by healing the sick. So, Essentially, what's going on here is there's all kinds of people that are following Jesus, not because they want necessarily want to, you know, follow him with the rest of their lives, but they've heard all the rumors or they've seen the story or seen the miracles that Jesus did in other places, and they're like, "Oh, I want to find out more about this." And so they're kind of coming um, for the for the show, if you will, not from this place of of true, complete, utter devotion. But anyway, a crowd filled with a bunch of people who kind of fit that 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 description. They track Jesus down because they're fascinated with his miracles. And Jesus looks up, he's, he, it's just Jesus and the disciples, Jesus and the twelve, they're trying to get some away time, and Jesus looks up and he sees this huge crowd of people making the, or heading their way. And then this happens, verses 5 to 7. Jesus looked up, 
he sees the crowd coming toward him, and he says to Philip, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So so here's what's going on. Jesus, he looks up, and he immediately perceives a, a need. He sees that there's thousands of people, this is just describing the situation, thousands of people who have made their way out into the wilderness, that's where they're at, they're out in the wilderness because they're searching for him, Jesus, and these people have nothing to eat. There's a problem that's been presented. What's the solution? Problem's been presented, but what's the solution? Now, I love how what Jesus does next is he speaks directly to Philip. Okay. Now, I don't know what Philip did to have to get Jesus. To, I don't know if, like, did, did, did Philip do that awkward eye contact with the teacher where you're like, please don't ask me the question, and they make eye contact, and Jesus says, you, Philip, what are we going to do? Or was Philip just standing next to Jesus, and so Jesus said, you know, leaned over and said, look, Philip, you know, I'm going to ask you this. What are we going to do? Regardless, Philip is the one who Jesus asks this question to, and he suddenly has to figure out, what am I going to say? The unlucky disciple, if you will, who has to suddenly answer this question, where shall we get bread? Now, of course, we're told that Jesus is testing Philip. So Jesus asks Philip a question, but he asks it as a test. You know, you know, sometimes, this is interesting, sometimes Jesus asks us questions not because he needs to know the answer. Sometimes he asks a question because we need to hear the question. Okay? So notice, Jesus asks Philip a where question. Where are we going to get bread? These people are hungry. Where are we going to get bread? And Philip does not give a where answer. He gives a how answer. Jesus says, where are we going to get enough bread? And, and, and Philip says, we don't have enough money. Now, I think what's interesting is Jesus is trying here at this point, as he's asking this question, what he's trying to do is he's trying to reveal to Philip and the others that the problem that they are about to encounter, the fact that these people don't have enough, uh, don't, there's not enough food for them to eat, the problem does not have a normal human solution. That the normal human efforts, the normal human solutions that we're going to come up with, they are going to be inadequate. Now, have you ever felt that way with the various, various challenges or problems in your own life? Right, where there's a problem that's presented and the solution either, simply doesn't seem to even exist. At least not within the normal resources, the normal whatever is available to you in our own human lives, right? And many of us, whenever we're presented with some type of a problem such as that, we respond like Philip, don't we? We calculate the cost, we determine that there's no solution that can actually be had, and so we just throw up our arms and say, oh, let's just all go home. It's not worth it. Or we can't, we can't do this. It becomes immediately as if it's impossible. Therefore, we throw up our arms and we resign to the fact that, nope, there's no way we can do it. There's no human solution that is adequate. Now, I don't know about you, but I've responded like that in my own life plenty of times, like Philip. How about you? The impossibility of, of something is in front of you. The resources aren't available, and so you just give up. I've, I've, I've done that more often than I can count. I'm t- sad to say. Plenty of times Rachel says to me whenever we have issues, she says, Ben, come on, you're being a pessimist. And I say, no, I'm not. I'm being a realist, right? Any of you like that too? Well, tr- Lord, forgive us. Like, I, Lord, forgive me. For- forgive me for the times when I respond like Philip. 
The times when I immediately reject the idea that there might be a God who can do something even, under, even, uh, even when I don't have what it takes to provide. Lord, forgive us from the times that we focus only on the things that we can do and we forget what it is that you can do. Lord, forgive us for those times. Now, others of us, we might not act like Philip, but others of us, we may act more like the disciple Andrew when he makes a cameo appearance in the story. Here's what Andrew did, if you remember, verses 8 and 9. Another one of his disciples, Andrew, which is Simon Peter's brother, Andrew speaks up and he says, well, here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? Now, I want to give Andrew some credit here, first of all, okay? He spoke up. He didn't wait for Jesus to say, Andrew, you come up with a solution. But no, he presents something to Jesus, so I give Andrew some credit here. And I don't know how he found this young boy. I mean, there's thousands of people, so I don't know how he's the one who figured out, oh, here's a boy with, with some food. But, but anyway, he did. He figures it out. But notice in Andrew's response, if you really take a look at what he says, notice that Andrew is still focused on the smallness of what he has. In other words, Andrew brings something through this boy, but he still admits that it's not enough. It's inadequate. Here's just a, here's just a boy. And he doesn't say he has five loaves. He says he has five small barley loaves. They're small. They're not enough. It's not just two fish. It's two small fish. And then, you know, Andrew decides to add that qualifier to the end of it. How far will they go among so many? It's as if Andrew's already decided before he's even figured out that here's a possible solution. He's already decided it's not enough. You know, well, thanks for the gift, but it's not going to make a difference anyway, so why bother? Now, some of us, we, we tend to lean more towards Philip in our lives. We tend to point out the impossibility of the situation. <laughs> we say, there's no way it can be done. Why even bother trying? We can't do it. Some of us, we might lean more towards Andrew in our lives. We point out the inadequacy of the contribution. Well, sure, we can try that, but it's not going to work. I don't know where we, you might fall within that spectrum between Philip or Andrew. And yet, the person that we see God's faithfulness show up through, it's not Philip, it's not Andrew, it's the little boy. God shows up and displays his faithfulness through this unnamed little boy. Now, we're going to stop the story here for just a minute, okay? We're going to stop our story for a moment because we need to talk about something that's very important. You know, when it comes to themes like this, too many times in the church, we assume that children can't do much for God's kingdom. Too many times, we make this mistake that the only the real Christians are those who are the grown-ups. This is a huge mistake, a grave mistake when it comes to what it means to be the church. Jesus himself welcomed the children to follow him. Other, the adults were like, don't bother with the kids. They don't have anything to offer us. Just let them be. And Jesus says, no, you bring them to me. Children are just as capable of serving Jesus, if not more so, than the adults. So let's not ever underestimate or write off what children can offer to the church. The kids of our church are also the church. Now, there's a young boy in our church 
who actually shows and teaches us what can happen when we take something like this seriously. His name is Liam. And he doesn't attend our campus. He attends the Crossroads campus. But Liam, his name is Liam Bits, and he's 10 years old. And he had this idea of how he could be the church for his friends. And even as a young boy, he decided to try to make a difference. And so I want you to listen. We've got a a video here that I want you to hear his story of how what 10-year-old Liam did to try to make an adequate contribution to the kingdom of God. Let's take a listen to Liam's story. Let's go, let's go ahead and let's pause that and try to reset it, okay, friends? So while the tech guys are getting that video up, so let's see if we can get it reset, I just want to give you kind of a quick kind of what to expect, okay? So as I said, the kids, the kids in our church are just as capable of serving Jesus as adults. Liam is 10 years old, and what you didn't hear him say at the very beginning is that he's in elementary school, and he's trying to figure out how he can obey what God is calling him to do in his own unique setting. Now, guys in the back, give me a thumbs up when you're ready to show the video, okay? But... As I say that, I want you just to pause, and I want you to, to, to imagine, did you guys see how many kids are up front here? Right? Now, too often, I'm just going to be honest here, too often churches think that the kids shouldn't be a part of the congregation, that we should just provide as much child care, if you will, as possible, because we don't want to be bothered with it. But again, this is a grave mistake. Why? Because the kids are just as much a part of the church as we are. And so I want you to know there's going to be times when no matter what type of a congregation you're part of, there's going to be times when kids are an interruption to the service. You know that? There's going to be times when there's a baby that starts screaming in the back. There's going to be times when when mom is trying to get the kid to to quiet down and they just keep making loud noise. And you know, when that happens, you know what we ought to do as a church? You know how we ought to respond? We ought to say, let the children come to me. That's because that's what Jesus said. We should never look down or turn our nose whenever there's a child in our context or in our community that is a part of the body, okay? And so, parents, I want you to know it's okay when you have your kids in church. Those of you that are, that are, whose kids are grown up or, or, or do not have kids, when there's other little kids that are a part of our community, celebrate that, right? Be excited for that, all right? Now, do we have a video? Okay, so I'm gonna, we're going to skip the video, unfortunately, friends, and I'm going to tell you what Liam did. Liam is 10 years old, and you know what he did in his school? He started a Bible study. He starts his own Bible study by just asking a couple kids in his class if they wanted to look over some scriptures during break time. And he talks a little bit about how he just just trying to, he's like, well, you know, we're, uh, him and his dad are talking about what does it mean to, to, to talk about the Bible with other peoples, and so he decides to do it. Now, we're going to go ahead and disregard the video, guys, so go ahead and we're going we're gonna to skip it. But as we say that, I want you to just reflect on how Liam, 10 years old, has the, has the wherewithal to be able to contribute that type of a gift to the kingdom of God all on his own, just by going to his school, printing off a couple verses and inviting some kids to talk about it. He has now a Bible study that he's doing. Sometimes there's two kids, sometimes there's four kids, sometimes there's ten kids. But in the video, he even says that he has a goal of trying to invite four kids to start coming to Charter Oak Church with him someday. 
Guys, if 10-year-old Liam can do it, why can't we? And 2,000 years ago, a little boy did it instead of the adults. And so as we pause and just take a look at how God's faithfulness can show up in anybody, including a young little boy, let's take a look at what Jesus does, does Excuse me, with the small gift of this little boy. Verses 10 and 11, continuing in our text, we see this simple contribution that this boy brings. Jesus receives the contribution, and he says this. He says, have the people sit down. You can imagine the disciples wondering, what's he going to do? This little kid just brought hardly anything. What's Jesus going to do next? John says there's plenty of grass, and so they all sat down. About 5,000 men were there. And then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. And then he did the same with the fish. Right here is the miracle of God's power breaking through and using this minimal gift of a young boy and then Jesus multiplying it for the masses. This meager, inadequate gift from the eyes of others invested into the hands of Jesus becomes a force of abundance for the kingdom of God. Notice, it doesn't say that there was enough that everybody, for what everybody needed. What does it say? It says the people ate as much as they wanted. That's abundance, friends. Abundance. Jesus uses what was given and makes it enough for everyone. So much so that there's 12 basketfuls left over. Enough so that every disciple had one to carry and be like, Wow. Jesus has proven a point. He's proven a point to the disciples by using the gift of this little boy. The point is not to rub in the disciples' faces what they couldn't do. It's not Jesus trying to say, look, you couldn't do it, guys, so I had to do it for you. No, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is that when you put your gift into the hands of Jesus, by his power, he will do more than you could possibly ever conceive or imagine. Of course you don't have enough money to buy food for 5,000 people and their families. But watch what I can do when one person comes forward with a small gift of bread and fish and places it into my hands. Later on in the Gospel of John, Jesus would remind his disciples with this. John 15, he says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. And Jesus, he's just living out the truth about what God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah 500 years earlier. Jeremiah said this. He said, O sovereign Lord, you've made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you, right? Jesus is just living out this this truth about who God is and how God functions and how God can work. The spiritual writer Watchman Nee, he once wrote this. He said, the meeting of need is not dependent on the supply in hand, but on the blessing of the Lord resting on that supply. It's not about how much is there. It's about whether or not God's hand is on what is. Continuing verses 12 and 13. When they had all had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. And so they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with a piece of five barley loaves over 
by those who had eaten. First, the problem is that there's not enough, and now the problem is that there's too much. Let nothing be wasted. Now, here's what I want us to wrestle with today. As we take a look at this text, as we reflect on how Jesus can use whatever it is that we offer and use that as a force for the power of abundance in the kingdom of God, here's what I want us to wrestle with today. You ready? Jesus wants to accomplish miracles with human involvement. Jesus wants to accomplish miracles with human involvement. Think about it. Those of you who have read the Gospels and you know some of the stories, you'll know this. Think about it. When Jesus turned the water into wine, he didn't just do it by himself. He asked servants to participate by filling up the jars. When the disciples caught a miraculous number of fish in the boat, he told them that they needed to first put down their nets on the other side. These, and there's other examples as well, are invitations for Jesus, where, where Jesus asks us to trust him. They're invitations for people like you and me to trust Jesus with our involvement. When we are invited to do something with Jesus. Jesus longs to accomplish miraculous acts of the kingdom of God with us. He wasn't telling the disciples. He wasn't telling Philip. He wasn't telling Andrew. He wasn't telling the disciples, you feed the crowds for me. He wasn't saying, oh, it's not my job to do this. It's your job. You figure it out. That's not what he was doing. He was inviting the disciples to feed the crowds with him. The one who fed the crowds, if you will, who answered the invitation, was a young little boy, and we don't even know his name. He's the one who participates in what Jesus is doing. He's the one where we see God's faithfulness break through. The boy didn't tell Jesus what all the problems were. The boy just trusted Jesus with what he had to give. The, the, the young boy Liam from the Crossroads campus, he just simply gave what he had to God and said, I don't know where this is going to lead, but I trust that God can do something with it. And now he's got a Bible study at his school. It doesn't matter, friends, how old you are. It doesn't matter how poor you are. It doesn't matter how busy you are. It doesn't matter how uneducated you are. It doesn't matter what language you speak. It doesn't matter what your bank account balance is. It doesn't matter what your family background is. It doesn't matter what your past has been like. What matters is faith. Do you trust that Jesus can take whatever it is that you can give to his kingdom? Do you trust that Jesus wants you, yes, you, to participate in his kingdom work by, by inviting you to give whatever inadequate gift you might think it is and give it and place it into his hands and that he can use it for miraculous things? Had that little boy not somehow come forward and, I don't know, tugged on the sleeve of Andrew and said, hey, I've got some food. Had that little boy not done that, that whole crowd would have probably have just gone home to eat. Had Philip or Andrew taken control of the situation, they would have just sent everybody away. And the crowds would have missed both a meal and, perhaps more importantly, missed out on being in the presence of the transforming power of God. But thanks be to God, there was a little boy who said, I have something to give. The reality, church, is that there are needs all around us, that Jesus is inviting us to meet those needs with him. It may not be a hungry crowd of people walking around in the wilderness, but maybe the need is a family who lives next door to you in desperate need of love. Maybe the need is a group of children right here in the city of Jeanette who have nowhere to go before school. 
Maybe the need is figuring out a way to walk alongside the 212 families living in Jeanette who make less than $10,000 a year. Maybe it's, it's coming alongside and walking alongside one of the 894 single moms who call this area home or one of the 313 single dads who live in and around this city. Did, did you know there are almost 29,000 people who live within a five-mile radius of our church who have no commitment whatsoever to following Jesus? 29,000, give or take a few, people who live within five miles of us who have zero commitment to following Jesus. How many of those people do you yourself know personally? Do you know that there's an additional 26,000 people who say that they are a Christian on paper, but have absolutely no involvement in a church whatsoever? Which means most of them, they say they're a Christian, but they just really don't care. How many of them do you yourself know personally? Friends, we, we want to be a church who reaches out, who reaches out to those thousands of people who are searching. We, no, here at the Jeanette campus, did, we, we want to start a benevolence ministry at our church where we can respond to the needs of people in our community. We want to launch new small groups, new small groups that can reach out to the friends and families and neighbors of people in our lives so that they, we can help grow one another as disciples. We want to start new outreach programs, friends, programs that we can reach out and, and, be, and be involved in our school district, to our businesses, to struggling families that are living right around us. We want to see people who are far from God come to know Jesus, commit their lives to him, discover the miraculous power of God to transform their lives, just like he's transformed your life, and rescue the world around us. Now, we could stop and we could say a little bit like Philip or Andrew, we could say, it's just too hard. The need is just too great. We don't have enough resources to do any of that. Heck, many of you know that here at the Jeanette campus, we can, are continuing to work towards trying to cover our general expenses as a, as a church. We have a lot of work to do. That's true. We could step back and say, no, it's just, it's just too hard. We don't have enough. But what if God is not telling us to solve these problems for him, but is instead inviting us to participate in the work with him? What would... What would it look like if we took that approach instead? It might mean if we saw that God was inviting us to join him in this work, it might mean that we would have to start trusting Jesus just like that little boy. It might look like having to trust God with an hour of your time to serve. Some will say, no, 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 they don't need me. It's not going to make a difference anyway. Well, that's what they said about five bread and two fish. It might look like trusting God with $5, $10 a week. Some will say, no, it's such a small amount, it, it doesn't make any difference. It's not going to make an impact. Well, that's what they said about five bread and two fish. It might look like trusting God with a willingness to just start something new. A small group. A new team. A ministry that doesn't exist yet. 
That's what 10-year-old Liam Bitts did in his school. Some might say, no, 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 that's not going to do anything. I'm not going to succeed. They don't need me. Whatever I would try to do is not going to make a difference. Well, that's what they said about five bread and two fish. Friends, put your trust in Jesus and watch him work miracles. So what is he asking you to trust him with next? Your participation is not inadequate. Your gift is not inadequate. Your service is not inadequate. Because when placed into the hands of Jesus, he will make it exactly what it needs to be. Every gift given, every hour volunteered, every prayer made, every sacrifice, every idea, all of it can be multiplied by Jesus. But first it has to be placed in his hands.